My topic this morning is uh, the ABCs of eating out, uh, what to ask about restaurants, uh, about f- food places. Um, depending on the time that I have for the, for the presentation, sometimes I include uh, Shabbos issues as well. I don't think I'm going to have time for that today, but maybe a different time. Jewish people love to eat. Um, the problem we have is we've become too comfortable and too expecting of what's available. Um, if one stops to think, um, the Frum community, or the Jewish community, however you define those numbers, makes up less than 1% of the population of the United States. Of that 1%, uh, how many of them are Frum Jews? If we stop to look and see why companies as big as Coca-Cola and the like are putting an OU on their product is nothing short of a modern-day miracle. Um, Baruch Hashem, a lot of programming takes place through the OU because of these companies that have decided, but the concept that, uh, that, that everything should and can be kosher is far from it. Uh, I'm going to try and uh, give you some perspective, as some issues to look for, um, and uh, try and share with you some questions to ask when you find yourselves in different places and you're not familiar with the standards of, uh, of, the, of the local hechsher that's going on and try and be an educated consumer when we come out of the, out of the conversation. Um, the other option is what most people do is just text me, but that's a separate, uh, separate conversation. So we start with the ABCs of eating out, which refers to a number, a number of different places. I know Rabbi Gersten already spoke about coffee. Um, we'll speak about, mostly about restaurants, but they, restaurants can translate into an ice cream store, can translate into a restaurant, milchik or fleishik. I guess we can't talk about fleishiks now, it's the nine days, but we'll pepper it in and somehow. Um, and, and any other variety, when you find yourself going to a simcha in a, in a tray for place, what's going on, what are, what are some of the concerns? The, fir- the first... Can someone help? Uh, with the, anyone have the technical ability to elevate it a little or pull the table back a little? No, pull, pull, that, pull that table. No, no I, I don't think you need to do that the whole time now. Come on. <laughs> is the, tish, the tissue box is too high. No, it's not the laptop. It's not the laptop. It's the, it's the projector. Cannot be pulled back. I think that's table. The table back. Pull the two tables back. Yeah. Right, but it's, but it's, she's. <laughs> you have to raise this, but it's not. No. Well, take it. Well, take it. Cool. Yeah, there we go. That's fine. Fine. One of the first issues one has to look for is uh, is the concern of bishul akum, right? Food cooked by non-Jew. Chazal saw a, a concern of uh, that uh, food is one area where uh, where people come together and uh, will bring to Kirov Lovavos, right? Uh, if you look at any Kirov organization, what they're trying to do, their easiest way towards the heart of a Jew is through their stomach. 
Right, so if you go a step further, the interaction between Jews and non-Jews, Chazal created many, many decrees, one of, one of Bishalakum, food cooked by a non-Jew. Some of the, con- some of the considerations one has to, has to look at are, first, is the food edible raw? Right, so if you have an apple, pepper, corn, hearts of palm, right, all, are all edible raw, so there would be, Chazal never, did not make a concern that that's not considered a, an, uh, an important food that someone's going to, uh, even if that person cooks for you, you can eat it raw, so it's, they haven't done anything to enhance the food. As opposed to something that's not eaten raw. Right? Eggs. Uh, a simple example, by a bris. Right? You don't see anyone turning on the, the fire by the bris and they're cooking eggs. That's bishalakum. Right? You have to have, by a bris, someone who's... Uh, a Jew who's, who's monitoring the fire, and if, uh, if the shul in the, in, the, uh, in the social hall has a powerful air conditioning right by, and the vent right over the propane burners that they're using to, heat the, to, heat the, to make the eggs, one has to be constantly vigilant and watching to be sure that it doesn't constantly go out each time they're, they're making eggs. Right, potatoes, right, meat, right, raw meat, uh, you know, none of us are uh, running to eat raw meat. And then we have the, the controversial topic of fish, because of uh, you know sushi, but sushi is eaten usually the smoked salmon. But this, many of the fish is eaten with rice that's already cooked, and we'll talk about rice in a minute. But uh, for 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 the most parts, fish is not eaten raw. Right, so th- those those are, are issues that uh, that that will come up. A second factor in the right is. I thank my kids for doing this. I don't have to do any of that. All right, the, the, it's also the second condition is that it's something that's going to be ed- eaten at a, state, at a state dinner. So potato chips, cornflakes, canned beans, and uh, cheese, which is also something that uh, the milk was already cooked, right, is not going to be served at a state dinner. And therefore, even if you, fi- if you find right, something that's either edible raw or it's not served at a state dinner, will not have a concern of Bishalakum. That doesn't mean that canned beans that are made on, a, on, a, on equipment that's, uh, that they're cooking uh, pork and beans at the same time, right? you need a heksher to, uh, to, to be sure, but it's not going to be an issue of Bishalakum. Right, correct. Right, but for example, items that are olal shulchan malachim, right, your meat, your eggs, your canned potatoes, and then you have your, your rice, which is your second ingredient in sushi. So we can dispel the notion very quickly that uh, someone can go to a sushi bar that doesn't have a hechsher and eat because your two main ingredients in your sushi have a problem with bishalakum, the rice and the fish. Right? So you have to be careful uh, to make this assumption that you can uh, just go to a sushi place and, and not have an issue. But it's also relevant, not only the food cooked, but who's, who's turning on the fire. Right, whether you have a chef, whether you have a pilot light, uh, um, I think it was President Reagan who, uh, who got rid of pilot lights in all of our uh, um, domestic uh, ovens right, when they were having an energy crisis, so they didn't want the pilot lights to be staying lit all the time. So that created a major issue for Bishalakum. That's where the electronic ignition ovens come from, but the electronic ignition, every time it's turned on, right, it has to be turned on by a Jew. And that's where... This is relevant on, in many people's homes where they have, uh, have someone who's helping them. Right? The, the non-Jewish uh, staff is not allowed to be cooking, whether it's in the restaurant or in your house. Right? Who's turning on the fire? Right, the, nec- the next issue that, uh, that one has to be aware of is the segregation of meat and fish. Right? Our first example, um, if someone wants to help me, I can't pronounce the name of the sauce. 
Thank you. That's not my, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Too many, too many shurs and sesses and t's. I don't know what's going on with that. But the, the bottom line with this, with this sauce is that there's fish that is put into the sauce in order to be called this type of sauce, even though some people don't. But there, there's fish in it. Some of them are going to be labeled, oh, you fish. And some of them are going to be labeled, oh, you parv. What's the difference? So the, the OU is taking a position that if the amount of fish in the, in the sauce is less than one-sixtieth of the, of the sauce, then it can still be labeled par because the sakana, the danger of eating meat and fish together, is not there when it's in such a minute amount. Right? So, so in an OU restaurant, we won't let them have, a, have one of these sauces that has an OU fish on it because it can just as easily be used for fish as it can be used for, for meat. So it's one of those... One of those type of things, and this is an important, uh, an important point, you know, uh, a restaurant or a caterer will always ask a question, Rabbi, is this halacha or is this policy? Right, sometimes policy sometimes will trump halacha because it has to be a system that can work within, within, a, within a place. If they're going to have that sauce in the, in the kitchen and it's going to be just as easily poured onto the, bar, on the, to the chicken or onto the meat that it's going to be poured onto the fish, it's not a situation that is controllable even with a mashgiach in the kitchen, and certainly when there's no mashgiach in the kitchen. So even though the OU will give a hefsher, right, it's going to have an OU fish, and there are going to be certain other, other items that will have a hefsher, we won't necessarily allow a fleishig restaurant to use it, in the, use it in the restaurant. All right, can the sauce go on meat? Next question. Rabbi, I went into this restaurant, it's a fleishig restaurant, and I only bought french fries. Do I have to wait six hours? All right, fish and meat together. That's the first question, do I, have to meet, do I have to wait six hours? And the second question, if the French fries are fried in the same oil that they're frying the chicken fingers, can, that, can those French fries be served with fish? Then one of my favorite questions, which uh, we may be repulsed by, but it comes up all the time, um, Rabbi, someone just came into the restaurant and wants to order a tuna pastrami sandwich. While we may not be uh, so interested in eating it, right, for other people that might be a delicacy. Right, the is you can't serve meat and fish together. What we tell the restaurant is, even if that would be put on a plate together, it would not do anything to the kashrus of the plate, we're not allowed to eat it. So we tell the people, a person's allowed to order a plate of tuna and a pastrami sandwich, or a, pastrami, or a tuna sandwich and pastrami on the side, not, but not on the same plate, that would not be a problem. And finally... At a wedding, what utensils are they served with? Um, anyone who's been to a simcha knows that at, at the fancier simchas, they serve, the, they serve the food with what they call French serving. French serving means they take the little tongs and they take the meat and put it on your plate, and then they put the potatoes they put on your plate, and then they put the green beans and put it on your plate. All right, what happens if they're the same tongs they're using for the meat, they're using for the potatoes and the, and the, and the green beans, they can't serve the fish on the same plate, uh, with the same time that they're serving the side dishes. That's why what you'll, what you'll notice is if someone's ordering the fish alternative, they're going to come from the kitchen with the fish on a plate, because they have a separate section in that kitchen where they're going ahead and they're plating the fish and the green beans and the potatoes with separate tongs and separate knives, separate serving, to be sure that the meat and fish are not mixed. So this is, this is something that's relevant, whether it's in, in a restaurant, whether it's at a, at a catering event. All right, so, so it's Machokas uh, HaPoskim. Many say that you have to wait six hours after that. The next concern that, that we have is 
and it's relevant in, uh, in different uh, concepts. The concept is uh, referred to as Basar Shana Salam and I, and colloquially, that uh, meat that has disappeared from, from the eye. It's also uh, a subcategory of what's called Shiluach Halideyakum. Anyone who's ever sat in their office and ordered lunch from the, or ordered, ordered uh, food from any restaurant, and, they come, and the food comes to the restaurant and the food is not sealed, what do you do now? Right, the halacha is that we're, that we're concerned that the uh, person who's delivering it, if it's delivered by a non-Jew, might have switched your pizza for, uh, for some other pizza, or they might have switched your, your burger for a McDonald's burger, and you know, the difference in price between a burger from a non-kosher restaurant to a kosher restaurant is significant, and they can save the money on, uh, on, uh, on you know, giving the burgers to two different people and making a few extra dollars. So we have, we, have, we have deal it from the kosher side on how we seal the refrigerators, refrigerators with meat, poultry, fish, or cheese, right? A display case. You walk into your local takeout store who's selling, uh, who has all their deli and all their other things, and at night, they have to either lock up these, this uh, display case or take all of the, the meat and fish and poultry or whatever's in there put it in a refrigerator, it's going to be locked because we want to be sure that we know what's in there is supposed to be there. And then, of course, our favorite is the food that comes to you that's sealed, the, that you want to be sure that, it, that it's properly sealed. So the halacha says that by meat, you need either two seals or what's called a simon muvak. Right? The, the halacha considers that the kosher tape that's really properly sealed to be a simon muvak, that you don't need the extra protection. But generally, what we try to tell the restaurants to do is to put kosher tape over the, the bag st- and staple the receipt over the kosher tape, which is an extra simon because if they take the receipt off or they try to break the tape, it will certainly, it will certainly break. Right? Protecting the integrity and the contrast of the, of the food. Right, the next most common question that the uh, kashrus hotline gets, right, if he gets about 500 questions a week, Usually about 250 of them are related to a favorite cookie of everyone's, Oreos. About another 125 of them are, Rabbi, it has an OUD, is this dairy or dairy equipment? And the other 125 are, are uh, miscellaneous questions. All right, so this question of not bar not, which means that the, the food is made on, on, on equipment that's, uh, that's either dairy or meat or vice, uh, etc. Right, double stuff Oreo. Now, I usually take this test whenever I speak, because there's usually a lot of misinformation, even with those 250 questions that the rabbi gets every week, right? everyone has a different concept of what the, what the real story is with the Oreos. So I throw it out. Anyone want to venture a guess? No? No one eats Oreos? Everyone's mocked in a and Yisrael and Chal so it's not a problem. Okay, yeah? Is the question, are they Correct, correct. So, so the, the, the regular, the double stuff, the mega, the thins, those, those that are uh, made with the regular chocolate and the regular cream are, are made with power of ingredients and dairy equipment. Um, a, few, a few months ago, there were a couple others that were added to the list. I don't know them by heart, so I'm not going to throw something out that I don't know. But it's important to know, what does that mean? Right? It means that if you want to have it for, for dessert at your Shabbos table, or you want to put Oreos on top of your parva ice cream, at your, at, your shop, at your dessert, after you ate fleshics, you would be allowed to do that. But you wouldn't be, you know, for, forgive, forgive me if, it, if you don't like this concept, but you can't sprinkle it on your chicken. Right? The haagen sorbets happen to be something that's also, certainly not the cream ones, but the, the regular sorbets are also made in dairy equipment. 
And then, this is where we come, right? Can these be eaten with meat slash dairy? Yeah, okay, um, And what about, what about fish? Right, these, uh, right, can, can, can you eat your french fries that are made in meat equipment? Can you eat them with fish? The next issue, um, the Shulchan Aruch writes um, that, that, if, that if someone is serving parva milk, Right, that the that one is supposed to put the uh, put the container put the I mean, the Shulchan Aruch uses the example of almond milk chal of shkedim, right? That if they're serving you know the the parva milk, they should actually put some almonds next to the milk. That one should know exactly what it is. So this this uh, manifests itself in a number of different ways. For our caterers, especially when they're going into a tray for place, you know, and you can imagine you're you're at these fancy dinners. And they're serving everything with, uh, you know, white towels and everything is uh, on the up and up. And then you come to the, to the creamer and the creamer is in the portion controlled size creamer. The reason for that is the difference between, uh, between creamer and milk, you know, to the naked eye is not, not, not a big difference, even though one of our mashkichen told me if you, uh, if you pour um, a citrus fruit into the milk and it curdles, you know it's real milk and if not it's, uh, it's dairy creamer, non-dairy creamer, but... We insist that it has the actual container on it, so you see what it is. You know, the, the caterer is going to want to pour it from a, you know, from a creamer. We tell them, no, put on the table the, the non-dairy creamer. This way, you can see that it's actually parv. And it's important to know because some of the coffee mates are labeled non-dairy creamer, but are actually OUD and 100% milchik. The There's an ingredient in the non-dairy creamer. It's called sodium caseinate, which is a derivative of lactose, a dairy milk. And many of them have more than the sheer bittel in them, and therefore you have to be very careful that even though Rabbi, it's non-dairy creamer, what could it be? You know, the the, uh, the dairy farmers have lobbied the USDA to allow them to call this non-dairy because it's not actually coming from milk. All right, the silk soy milk happens to be labeled OUD, but it's also dairy equipment. This is another another type of uh, type of uh, item where we would not let the restaurant have it have it in, in stock. Because just as much as if you're using it for coffee, first of all, some people drink coffee with their, with their meal, not just after the meal. And second of all, um, I know in some of the recipes my wife uses for kugels, she uses soy milk. Right, so while you can use it for the coffee after the, after the meal, if you're only having soy milk, right, that's not such an issue. But if it's going in the kugel, we can't serve it with meat. So one has to be careful. And then the almond breeze is actually parf. Right, so just because it says it's non-dairy, you have to be very careful to be sure that it's okay. Right? If served by meat meal, do we require the actual container? Now, now we've discussed uh, the, the five issues that we've discussed were, were the issues of bishalakum, right, food cooked by a non-Jew, basash and asalam in ayin, right, the sealing of the food, meat and fish, right, dairy and non-dairy, dairy equipment, and we spoke about the, the parva milk. Now you want to see how, how these manifest themselves in, in conversations related to restaurants and related to, related to catering events. And some additional questions. Right? We call it, what to ask about a restaurant and sound intelligent. So I want to present a scenario just, just to, for emphasis to, uh, to uh, prove a point that, that's very important. When you hear an answer to a question and you're not uh, educated about, about what's going on, you can be horrified by the answer. But if you hear a more full question, 
then you can, uh, you can understand the perspective. So if I said to you that um, Ruvain's restaurant, I don't want to say any names, to Ruvain's restaurant, Juan, Miguel, and Carlos have the key to the restaurant. Right? So with, with just that piece of information, you might be horrified to say, I'm never eating in Ruvain's restaurant, because if they have a key, who knows what's going on. Right? So who has a key to the restaurant? Then the next question is, who has a key to the guests? But if I tell you now that Juan, Miguel, and Carlos have a key to the restaurant, but only Ruvain or Ruvain's Mashgiach has a key to the guests, and he can't cook anything in the restaurant if he's not there, right? the question is, uh, is not, as, not as horrific as you might have thought initially. And certainly if only the Mashgiach and the, and the owner or the owner ha- have a key to their refrigerators, it may not be as bad as you, you originally thought. Right, so if I just tell you, oh, you know, Juan, Miguel, and Carlos have a key to the restaurant, right, you might uh, say, I'm never going to this restaurant. But you have to hear a full picture to understand what's going on. So right, you want to ask about a restaurant, so you, know, you ask who has the keys to the restaurant, and they tell you, you know, uh, non-Jews, you're, you're, you say, you can't just accept that to be a problem. You say, oh, but who has the keys to the gas, who locks the gas, who turns on the, you know, who, who locks the refrigerators, who has the keys. Right, so you have to know a perspective. And one, one of the areas that, that, that people don't really think about that, that, are, that are very relevant, at least for the restaurants that choose to keep the, their places clean, um, I put that in quotes, um, the, when you're busy during the course of the day, you can't really clean the restaurant. So what's going to happen is, whether it's early morning or late night, they're going to have a cleaning crew. Sometimes the cleaning crew are workers in the restaurant, and sometimes there's a crew that comes 20 minutes, a half hour before the restaurant closes, and they, they're locked in the restaurant overnight, and they're, they, they're not supposed to finish until they, you know, the people come back in the morning. Right, so you, you need to know that, that uh, if the gas is not locked or the refrigerators aren't locked, you know, the, the, it's happened before that a, that a situation where, where one of the workers went out to a local establishment and got himself a couple of hamburgers, put the hamburgers on the grill and had a nice, uh, a nice uh, delicious uh, late night snack while, while uh, no, one was the, no one was the wiser. So you have to be careful when, when this is going on. Right, so who's watching the cleaning crew? Right? In two weeks, Rabbi Fuchs is going to speak about the procedure of checking vegetables, but you have to know, is, 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 some, is there a procedure going on for checking vegetables, or does the, does the local VAD not have any procedures in place? Right? What is the procedure for monitoring, monitoring the fires in the ovens? Right? The pilot lights, convection ovens, the stovetops, is, some, is someone actually monitoring the fires? And often there's, there's a question... You know, do you need a mashgiach in the restaurant, not a mashgiach in the restaurant? And I'm not coming to discuss any, any different hechsher in one with the other. OU requires a mashgiach in all of, all of our food service places. But one of the reasons that, that you need a mashgiach in the place is because someone has to be monitoring the fires. You know, although there might be pilot lights working, and you may even be relying on the pilot lights, spillages and other, other, other activities during the course of a day can lead the, lead the pilot lights to go out. If the pilot light is now lit by a non-Jew, then all the fires that are being cooked the rest of the day come, are coming from the non-Jew's fire. So one has to be aware, what's the procedure? Whether they have a full-fledged mashgiach, or they have someone who they'll call a nem and kashrus, someone who's reliable to take care of kashrus, and that's one of his, one of his jobs, or her jobs, in, in, in the restaurant. Next. 
how should I expect my delivery to arrive? Uh, I remember years ago, uh, I think it may even have been here, I interviewed for, uh, someone asked me, what do you do when you, when you get a phone call at 11 o'clock at night from a, from a, uh, from a person with a, with a question? And it's you know, very late. So, so my first answer was that I do what my father taught me. Um, you know, someone calls the rabbi late at night. He said, Rabbi, did I wake you? He said, no, I had to answer the phone. Right? The, uh, but, but, but on a more serious note, you know, I said, I said to the person, you know, put yourself in a scenario where, where you know, your wife went, went, went out of town for the week and left you some TV dinners to put in the microwave when, when, when you come home. And you see this TV dinner with a hefshir that you never saw before. And now it's 10 o'clock at night, you left the house at 7 in the morning, it's the first thing you're eating all day, and you don't know what to, you don't know what to do. Right? You get such a phone call, if you, tell, if you tell the person, why are you calling me so late, right? it's not exactly the, the answer they want to hear. But, you know, the question is, how is the food supposed to arrive when it comes? Right? Is it spo- it's supposed to be sealed, and if it's not sealed, uh, so the Shulchan Aruch writes that, uh, if there's no chashash chiluf, right, that, you know, you called restaurant X at, uh, at 6 o'clock, for, for, you know, for them to deliver you dinner, and it came at 6.30, you ordered a burger and french fries and a drink, a burger and french fries and a drink came, there's a receipt from the, from, from the place, you know, they, char- they knew how to charge your credit card very well, right? they, there's a receipt from the place, but it wasn't sealed. Right? So th- these are the type of things to, to ask, you know, what, how, when, you're, when you're ordering, and this is something that, that happens all the time, in, a, in an office setting, you're going to have six people getting together and ordering lunch from restaurant X. Right? The, re- the, the delivery comes um, to the front desk of the, of the office where there's uh, non-Jewish personnel. And, you know, the, the person by the front desk knows, you know, Ruvain ordered this and Shimon ordered this and Hannah ordered this. And, right? So they open the bag and now they come, to, they come and they see, you know, their corned beef sandwich and their burger and, no seal at all. Right? What happened? The restaurant received an order for, you know, you know they received a, a full order. They went ahead and they sealed the outside bag. And now the office personnel opened it up and, you know, it's all, the bag is gone, the seal's gone, no one sees it, and, and nothing is individually sealed. This is an important uh, point that people have to realize. You know, they, it's not only in, uh, in the world where the consumer's right, the consumer has the right to ask for what they want. If you're ordering for six different people, you have every right to tell the restaurant, can you please seal every item individually? Right, you want to make sure that you don't have this problem. They didn't do it. You forgot. Now, now, now you're in this 10.30 at night situation and, and nothing is sealed. Right, you have to ask a question. You can't assume that everything's okay. You have to ask, you know, did, it, did, did you get exactly what you ordered? Does it look like what you ordered? Does, was there a receipt? Are there other things to rely on? But you want to know how the food is supposed to arrive. The next is who is responsible for checking in the, ca- the kashras of, for checking in and checking for the kashras of all products. Now, you know, hopefully you have someone who's who's responsible for checking in. But there, there's a there's a challenge that exists within uh, you know in in the utopian world, right? Everything's coming in. The mashgiach, the neman kashra, someone is checking every delivery, signing every delivery. It's great. But what happens is, if they run out of margarine, soy milk, right, all the things we spoke about that are, that are issues with dairy, not dairy, right, that, and they, so they send someone out to the, to the local store to go get margarine, right? And they see the OU on the margarine. Yeah, but in the Fleischer restaurant, it says OUD, or even it's a, it's a, 
Milchik a restaurant, but Chol of Yisrael, and it says OUD on it. So, you know, the OU policy is unless it's unless it says it's Chol of Yisrael, generally OUD means that it's not Chol of Yisrael. Right, so, so you have to be, be aware, and I'll tell you, you know, one of the rabbis in my office, who so I shared my PowerPoint, and he said, who's packing out the things in, in, the, in, in the store? Yes, there are people constantly monitoring the shelves and monitoring the shelves, but things are coming in, you know, by the hour, by the minute, in, in, in many situations, depending on how busy the place is. The next question is, on what products are, you, are they mafresh chala? Now, some people, you ask, you have to do a fresh challah, so you know, you, on the challah you bake for Shabbos, you have challah, but any bread, any cakes, even a, even a pourable batter, right, the OU requires that the, you, uh, if you're using enough flour, you know, if you're making a, a sponge cake, you're not getting anywhere close to the amount of flour, but when you're making a, a thousand sponge cakes, or... Right, so you're, you're, you are using enough flour uh, to be mafresh after the baking because you can't, you know, a liquid, a liquid batter, you're not going to be able to. But it's important to know what's, uh, what, what's being done there. Additionally, right, what, is, what is the procedure in the restaurant for, for segregating meat and fish? Right, did you have a separate grill? I had a story last week. Uh, the, one, one of the restaurants... You know, during the nine days, right, this is a, a question that always comes up, you know, wh- whether a restaurant is allowed to sell meat, not allowed to sell meat. Um, but one, one of the restaurants, the, the OU position is we allow them to sell meat provided that they have a nine days option. So if a person doesn't sell fish all year round, it only has chicken and meat and does not have fish and any, any other power of arrangement, so we don't allow them to, to be open. But otherwise, as long as they have some option, right, we allow them to, to remain. The, the, in the restaurant, they, the two of their, they have two, they have two uh, char grills for, for meat and one for fish. The two char grills went, were taken out of, out of service by the gas company. There was a leak of some sort. Right? And the mashgiach is calling me, can they, you know, can they split the char grill in half to use half for meat and half for fish? It's a question that comes up, but it's something to, to know. Right? So what is the process of separating fish and meat? Right? It's not only the fish and the meat, it's also the side dishes that are being served. You know, sometimes they're going to, m- many, many restaurants use a, a beef stock or a chicken stock of some sort to flavor some of their side dishes where you wouldn't think that rice or potatoes might be an issue, but sometimes it could be really flashy and can be a problem serving them with, uh, with meat. Right. Now, one of my favorite ones, uh, you know, I, I, I asked my daughter the other day, why do I have nail polish in my, uh, in my PowerPoint? All right, so... Right, the is according to Ram, the Ramah says that we're required to check eggs. Right, so in different restaurants have different procedures for for check for checking the eggs. So often the mashgiach will check it one by one, but sometimes when they're using a a, quant, a greater quantity, we might designate one or two people in the restaurant who are who are allowed to check eggs. You know, the, the mashgiach monitors the process and and they uh, have what they'll call the incentive program. You know, give them two, three, four, five, depending on inflation. Give them a a, a bonus for for finding a, for finding a blood spot. So I have my nail polish. You have to be careful that the guy doesn't have any red nail polish in his pocket when he's checking the eggs to pad his pad his pocket. Right. So you have to be careful who's checking the eggs. Right. So th- this these are these are some of the some of the issues associated with uh, with, with with a restaurant. Now, at a wedding in a hotel. Now, I'm going to make an editorial comment, not an OU comment, just, you know, people don't even realize what goes, goes in to making an event in a non-kosher venue. 
first of all, most of the time, non-kosher is going on simultaneously, um, probably about as close as my brother is to my father in the, in the kitchen. Right, there's not much of a distance, and usually you know, we have to have a mashgiach standing between the two of them, literally, to be sure that, the, that there's, no, there's nothing going on. In addition, and we'll see this uh, as we go, in addition, the staff of who's, uh, who's working at, at these events is often the staff of the non-kosher venue. You go into a hotel, you go into a, go into a, a club, right? the, the, the waiters and the bartenders, everyone is the, belongs to the, to, the, to the club, to the place. In addition, the kosher's agency has no relationship at all in most situations, uh, a rare exception might be the Sands in, over here in Atlantic Beach. The conscious agency has no relationship with the hotel because they're, uh, you know, being brought in, you know, they're being brought in through the hotel to, to, to do the event. And the, if one of the waiters uh, would actually do something, would go ahead and do something, and you catch them red-handed... Not so easy to, to punish the person and make sure that, that it doesn't happen again. So it's something to think about when you're, when you're going to make a simcha, right, to, to consider doing it in, a, in a, an all-kosher venue. Right? You still have the challenges, and we'll, we'll show you some of the challenges, but the challenges are, are exponential when you're going into a, a non-kosher place. Right? Checking all the waiter's equipment. Very often... Uh, a waiter has, just as everyone else has in their kitchen, they, they have their, their utensils that they like to have. And on top of that, we're talking about in a non-kosher venue, the waiters know exactly where the non-kosher stuff is, is in the course of the day. So you have to really con- continuously monitor where, what's going on. In addition, make sure all the knives are from the caterer, especially on the carving station. If you imagine uh, you know, cutting uh, whatever fancy meat you're cutting... If if uh, if a certain chef with his knife can get thirty slices out of the out of the out of the meat instead of twenty five, and you're serving an event for seven eight hundred people, right? So the caterer is literally saving himself six or seven big roasts by the by the by the chef using his knife, right? That's a, that's a real savings to the to the caterer. You have to be aware and you have to be careful that he's not holding it in, in, inside his uh, inside his white coat. You have to really monitor what's going on. Additionally, who is turning on the fires? We spoke about Bishel Akum. So, so I had an interesting uh, situation a number of years ago. One of our caterers was doing, a, doing an event for, uh, for Bet El. Right, the Bet El dinner has 1,500 plus people at the dinner. So we, we were having a pre-meeting with the, with the caterer and the mashgiach who was going to be doing the kashering, and the chef turns to the mashgiach and asks him, who's going to be turning on all the sternos, right, the, the gel fire that, that's used to heat up the food in, in these hot boxes over here. Right, so the, the mashgiach, without batting an eyelash, turns to the chef and says, you are. So, you know, he, he raised his eyebrows a little bit, and the mashgiach said, everything that's going into these hot boxes is already cooked. If it's already cooked, we have a halacha in bishulach or bishul. If it was already cooked, if it's cooked again, it's already, it was already cooked by a Jew, it's not an issue. And the mashgiach said, if I turn it on and, and something doesn't get lit, you're going to blame me. When I don't have to do it, right, you're going to, uh, you do it, and if it's a problem, then it's your fault. But it's something that's important to know that, that often, 
you have to do what, what, we call, what a doctor would call triage. You have to decide whether, whether you want to go, go there or not. When you're doing a dinner for 1,600 people, you, you may have to do triage. But when you're doing a dinner for 300 people, you might want to make a low plug and say, the mashkiach is the only one turning on, turning on the fires because you don't want to have, them have a concept that anywhere that they're turning on fires. But you have to be careful because certain things that are made on, we, we, we mentioned eggs before, earlier, that if the eggs are being cooked, you, know, you can't tell, the, tell the, the guy, the non-Jew, to turn on the eggs. Or if they're making crepes or something else that would be a concern of Bishalakum, right, you can't have the, the non Jew turn it on. Question. Sure. If you have a person making omelets yeah. and you don't know who lit it, if you just adjust the flame yourself, does that eliminate the Bishalakum problem? Um, the flame has to be off and then turn off. It would probably have to be off and turn back on because if it's, if it's on, a high enough temperature to cook, you're turning it up a little, would not be, would not be enough. Right, what is the procedure for segregating fish and meat? Right, a lot of these things repeat themselves in, in different scenarios in different ways. Right, make sure all the margarine is parved. Right, this, is, this is a, a major challenge, especially a caterer who does milchiks and fleshiks. Right, you're going to want them to, you know, when they want to make it, you know, they're not going to use these actual things. Just, these just, the pictures just help you see the difference between margarine and butter. But they, they'll be making margarine rosettes and butter patties or whatever, whatever they call them. You want to make sure that the caterer does not make the same thing for milchiks and fleishiks. Right, he's going to make it a different shape, a different pattern. This way you can easily tell the difference. Right. Who are the waiters or the chefs at the event? Right. These waiters are belonging to the restaurant. He happens to be Jewish. He happens to be not Jewish. But you have to know if you're dealing with the waiters of the ho- with the with the chef and with the caterer's regular chef, right? It's very different than if you're dealing with the with the with the chef on the of the of the venue because the chef of the venue has a, has a lay of the land and knows where he's going and knows what he's doing and it's important to to, to determine how you're going to uh, administer the event. Right. Who is supplying the alcohol and drinks? This is something that most people are not aware of, and, and it's, a, it's a major issue, and I'm going to share with you a story that happened just to, just to uh, emphasize the, the importance. Um, one of the areas where the, where the non-kosher venue uh, makes a big amount of money off having these kosher events is liquor. And everything is supplied by by the venue. Right, the mashgiach uh, spends a lot of time going to the liquor room and making sure that they know we can't use this, we can't use this, all the wines have to be brand new bottles for, 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 for reasons that you know, some places do what they call marrying bottles. Right? They'll, they'll take a, a lesser quality wine and pour it into a better quality, better quality uh, bottle in order to uh, you know, make a few extra dollars on that. So you have to, you have to be, uh, be monitoring, monitoring what's going on. But they know where everything is. Right? If you know who is supplying and where it's coming from, you have at least a half a chance of what's going on. This past summer, a year ago, one of our caterers is doing an event. Now, now this, this will combine the, the bottom line with, with this, and, you know, the, the bane of the existence, and I, I apologize if anyone does this for a living here, but the bane of the existence of the cautious organizations are party planners. Um, many of the party planners don't have ashgacha, have no ashgacha, are getting things from everywhere and anywhere. And unfortunately, it pains me to say it, 
but the ones that are Shomer Shabbos are worse than the ones that are not Jewish. Because they, they create an aura of trust in them that is breached on a daily basis. I don't say everyone, but many of them. <coughs> I'll give you the example that happened. Now, Caterer was doing an event in a hotel. <coughs> the, the cost of the, of the event, of this, hotel, of this wedding, was upwards of one and a half million dollars, without exaggeration. Um, the caterer's uh, part was about $150,000, so he, 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 was, uh, he was only a, a meister of what, what was going on. The mashgiach went to the, went to the liquor room with the, uh, with the head of, the, head of, the, of the, the, bar, the head bartender, and they went through everything they're allowed to have, and they had um, a lot of bottles of McAllen's. Uh, the OU, for, for, you know, we can argue with it at a different time, the OU has taken a position that any, any, any of the single malts that are aged in sherry casks, although Rav Moshe writes, writes it's mutter, he writes about nefesh, the Yachmir, the OU has taken a position that there are enough of them out there that we don't need to, to be relying on these, on these as well. So we don't, we don't allow them, uh, and you know, we vigilantly try to make sure that they're not used in the restaurants and caterers, etc. Right, they had a, a, a large supply of, uh, of McAllen, he said we can't use these and make sure they don't come out. He said, no problem, we, we have a rolling bar, right, which means they're taking all the alcohol out of this room, nothing's going to, you know, when they have no reason to come back to this room at all, you see everything on here, no problem. Mashgiach checks three, four, five times during, during the event uh, on the bar, and he comes and he sees that, you know, one of the bartenders is, is reaching under to give, to give the person something to, to, to drink. And he just, you know, stands there watching for a minute. He's reaching again underneath. He says, can you show me that? They had 12 bars at this event. On every single bar, they put on the, the party planner, forced them to take back the, the McAllen because they, she wanted to have it and that, 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 that was what was going to be. We made a federal case about it and, and this, this hotel actually wrote up new protocols for, for doing kosher events and really worked with us uh, in, in that in- issue. But this is something that... Uh, that comes up on a regular basis that one, one has to be very careful and very aware that just because, you know, you're going and, and the caterer, you know, the, the caterer and the hashgacha have no relationship with the, with the alcohol, with the hotel, and it's not something that's, that, that one, is gonna, one is going to be able to, um, to completely control if you don't have the cooperation on all sides. Um, I'm going to um, open the floor for a few questions and then we'll conclude, yeah? It should be overseen by a, by a from person. Everybody's in the room. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is the unpacking, when, when the delivery comes, a from person should be seeing that it came, that it was sealed, and be able to be made to testify that, that that's what came. After that, she can set up, you know, the Jew doesn't have to set up and, and put, put it together, but there should be someone who's there and is, you know, popping into the room as it's getting set up to be sure that she didn't go into the kitchen and take, uh, take a serving spoon, a knife. And, uh, no, so, so I'm saying, if, if, if someone saw the seal being broken, that, that's, that's, that's the important part of it. No, you just have to see it being done. You're on a cruise ship. Yeah. And you have kosher 
Right. And instead of you opening up yourself at the table and making a big mess, the waiter That's a problem. stands right next to you. Right. Right next to you. They're going to open it up and bring it over to you. Right. So, so, so there are t- there are two there are two parts to your question. The part of t- of your question of see- seeing the seal, you know, of you know, I'm standing here and you, and you see the waiter where you're sitting, even breaking the seal and then bringing it right to you. That's not an issue. Rav Shechter, his father, not Rav Shechter Shalita, um, has said that if you're sitting at a table with five other goyim, right, that you should be taking that plate with the seal and having it on your on your plate on your table, that you should be showing that there's a difference to avoid, my, avoid Maris Ayin in the situation. Any other? Uh, okay. So we'll just finish with a few... Uh, right, an educated consumer is the best customer. Know some of the questions to ask. Do not be afraid or ashamed to ask. Sometimes people call me and say, Rabbi, I'm apologized for... No. The more you ask, right, the more people, people care. Right. If if no one calls and asks, so why is it? Why should the caterer care if he has chol um, v'israel yashar? If no one asks, no one cares. Why should why should the caterer accommodate? If people ask, they can uh, they're they're going to uh, be more on their toes. Right. When invited to a simcha, call the caterer and ask the questions um, before you go. Not uh, not you know when the ice cream is dripping down your down your chin and oh you're the mashkiach oh great. Right? It, it is our responsibility to be aware of what we are putting into our mouths. Right? If it sounds too good to be true, probably is. Right? We are very fortunate to have available so much kosher food, we need, the, we need to demand the high standards. And finally, thank you for listening and have a great day.